The Gorn were created for an episode of Star Trek the Original Series, with a stuntman portraying the lizard creature in an unwieldy costume. We saw one again in Star Trek Enterprise, courtesy of some pretty bad CGI. Now they're a recurring threat in Star Trek Strange New Worlds, where the combination of practical effects and CGI make them arguably the best-looking iteration of the species. I had a chance to talk to J. Allen Scott, co-founder of Legacy Effects, the company behind the new version of an old alien. I'm T. Rick Jones, and this is your Daily Star Trek News. Hey, Alan, how are you? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. I'm excited. This is my first time doing something like this. Oh, excellent. I was excited to hear that you were available. Um, I wanted to start very simply. Um, so how how much um, of the Gorn characters are, are digital? How much is practical? What's the what's the sort of um, I have, well, I haven't I haven't done a runtime. Um, and then until I saw the episode and talked with um, uh, Jason with visual effects and they sent him some clips a couple months ago. Um, it's a good mix. Um, the the babies, all three of them, the, mm-hmm. the hatchlings, the younglings, and the adult have a mix of both practical and CG, um, either augmented onto them or fully replaced, depending on what the shots are. It's actually a great mix for us. That's what we like. Um, sure. We embrace digital because digital can do things that we can't do. And sure. you know, we're stuck with physics and we're stuck with performance. And it's like, um, I like seeing that even with some of the adult stuff that was aired, um, Jason and his, his team would go in and augment the face a little bit because we add blinks and we add lips and we add all that stuff. But in the moment of the take that they want, if it's not doing exactly that moment at that time, then they'll give a little whip quip, lip quiver. I know they added those um, to some of the adult shots because that's what it needed in that particular frames. So what's great for us is that now we're looking at the next time we do it, and now we're adding that movement into what we did. It's like, oh, you like that kind of stuff? Then we're going to add that in. Or, or they may mush things around or, or move things around, just give them a bit more of an intense look, stuff that we might not have had time for or even thought to do. Yeah. Um, so it's a great time for us to make our things look like what they did as much as they take what we do practically and do their digital. So they start to look like each other. And I think that's the magic trick that makes it most effective is when it's when it's both techniques. You, you use everything you have in your tool palette. The Gorn began in the original series as a practical costume um, that many people think looks fairly silly. Uh, and then they popped up in Enterprise as a fully digital character, which yeah. wasn't great. Um, so you're using a mix of those things, but how do you how do you look back at what the Gorn were and sort of evolve them? Arguably, yours are the most realistic looking ones, and definitely the scariest ones we've seen on screen. Um, so how do you take what's come before and honor that while still creating something new? Well, that's the that's the big challenge is because the way I like to think of it is like when you've got something so iconic as the original, even given its limitations with time or budget that they had back then or technology, it's still iconic. It's canon. So you really can only screw it up if you're not careful because it's like everyone's grown up with that for what, 50 years. 
That's, sure. you know, but what, the, one of the ways that we like to look at things like that is like, what would it have been like if they weren't limited by technology? Where would they have taken it? The key is to listen to the writers because they're taking the story to a different place that we're not aware of yet. They know where they want to take this, this species and this civilization and the conflict that's going to come later. So they're very informed on how this wants to roll out and what they need to do and what they need to act like. Um, where the arena was like one moment in time between two individuals, now they're creating a whole different scenario with the Federation and the Gorn. And um, you know, it comes down to is like, what is their society? And that, and that speaks, speaks into how they wanted to create these episodes. Like they want this to be a horror-like episode, which is the great part about Strange New Worlds and the serialization of it is that you don't have to worry about this huge overarching storyline over you know, seasons. You, know, you can focus on like, here's what it is, but they start creating the backstory that you understand. So as we're designing and trying to take in elements of the original one, they might say to us, like, we want the Gorn to be as comfortable on the ceiling and the walls as they are on the floor. Sure. And it's like they wanted them to be horrific, not comedic and broad daylight like they were at Vasquez Rocks. So it was like you put them in the shadows and you start working toward horror elements and you add elements to it. And so we started doing designs. And then as we started thinking about, you know, where they need to go, we're like, this is really horrific. These are really scary creatures, but they don't have the science. They don't, you can't see the, the, the thought patterns they're going through. They're too animal-like. They're too creature-like. They're too monster-like. Let's tone them back because they have a civilization. They have space travel. So how do we blend the two, make something that's really monster-like, you know, claws and teeth, sure. and, and still make it like it's intelligent. It's something that you might be able to reason with because they have a whole, we designed a life cycle with them. And then it's like, it's got to tie into, it's like, well, they, they still have a society. Like lions and hyenas have a society. So you have to, you know, key into elements of that. So you get the animalistic and the scary part, and then try and figure out, it's like, yeah, they still fly spaceships. A very early credit of yours was as a puppeteer on Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park still stands up. I mean, the special effects and the puppetry are still top notch, as far as I'm concerned. Um, did that Did that experience help inform you from 30 years ago? Inform you how these absolutely, absolutely, yes. There's a there's I've had several experiences, but on on Jurassic, it was one of my first times in animatronics, and. As you're building, it was a long build. We had 18 months to design and build the dinosaurs, which is unheard of these days. But there was so much experimentation and so much love and so much thought put into, and we met with you know paleontologists and movement studies. And it's like, you really started to get into is like how they move, why they move, what they do, what they need to do, and how do you replicate that? And it was incredibly exciting and fun. But there was a, a point in every production when you go, this is, I'm not just having fun here. It's like, I have to please the director. I have to please the studios. And then in the end, it's like, I have to please everyone that watches this. This has to look surreal. And there's that sobering moment where you're like, oh, we got to get to work. And, you know, it is work. It's a tremendously satisfying and fun experience. But at the same time, like, especially when you're talking about a fan base like Star Trek, is like you have a huge responsibility to make sure you never let your guard down and you're giving it everything that you can because their expectations are high. But at the same time, it's incredibly um, exciting to be creating and recreating and advancing canon, where it's like, you, you, sometimes you just have to push that out of your head 
because it's, it can be stressful and overwhelming sometimes. Like why, you know, you start to ask the whys, but it's like, once you, if you just focus on the character, then a lot of it just falls into place. Um, so, and there was a, there was another, I worked on one of the Star Trek movies and one of my favorite things about that is that they were doing Klingons and it was such a small shop and such an intimate situation. It was like, I was very new to it, but they were, everyone got to sculpt Klingons. It was like, you get to sculpt background Klingons, you get to sculpt the hero ones, but everyone got an opportunity to participate in an artistic way. And so we had that same conversation here. Now the tables have turned. I was like a young intern at the time. Mm -hmm. And then now I'm in a position to give other people that opportunity. So I've seen this great shift career and time-wise, where it's like the opportunities that I got on Jurassic and those early movies and shows, it's like now I'm able to give those same opportunities to other new people that are just coming into the franchise. So it's fulfilling and it's coming like full circle. Anytime that you see is like, I worked, I loved watching Star Trek and playing Star Trek. And the Gorn episode was one of my favorite ones as a kid. Now I get to give that same experience to the next generation, so to speak. That's great. Well, Jay Allen, Scott, thank you so much for joining me. This has been terrific. I've really enjoyed talking to you today. You're very welcome. Thank you. If you want to ensure daily Star Trek news continues to make content like this, why not support us on Patreon? Your donation not only helps us afford the hosting fees for our website and podcast, but also helps us to pay our writers. Even a donation of as little as a dollar a month helps to keep us running. Head over to www.patreon.com slash daily Star Trek news to help us out.